It has been said that a generation which ignores history has no past and no future. The danger of canceling history is the subject of this episode of The Ancient Art of Modern Warfare. Hello, and welcome back to The Ancient Art of Modern Warfare. I'm Chris Mayer. Okay now, this will be the podcast where many people will stop listening. Not that many people listen to this podcast anyway. I haven't posted a podcast in a while. This isn't because I've got nothing more to say. After all, there's about 4,000 years of recorded military history and new armed conflicts seem to be springing up around the world every day. Sadly, it's because of the trend of events within the United States has made me very cautious about saying anything at all. But here goes. Now, this series of podcasts is based on the notion that there are enduring tenets of warfare that we can see in action in the world around us. The idea is that we can learn from the great practitioners and theorists of the past to understand current conflict and shape our decision-making as citizens in a modern republic. This is possible because, despite technological advances in weaponry, communications, transportation, and so on, human nature is unchanging, and the decisions to go to war, end war, and behave during war are made by human beings. Now, if you don't agree with that notion, pick up Thucydides' Melian Dialogue, which is part of his narrative on the Peloponnesian War. It was written two and a half millennia ago. It is there that the Athenians, who are portrayed throughout history as the model of liberal democracy, declare to the representatives of the small island of Milos that the strong do what they can, while the weak suffer what they must. The Melian Dialogue is a short read. And I think it'll be the subject of a future podcast. Today, however, there is a strong information campaign promoted by an influential minority to cancel our history and those who shape that history. You know, it's, it's a funny thing. We hear today that we can't condemn non-Western societies that practice such things as female bondage, slavery, and genocide, among others, because those societies have different cultural values than ours. At the same time, We condemn those of the West who came before us because their culture then had different societal values than those being promoted today. This is making it very difficult to learn from history. Here's the bottom line. Nobody is perfect. As someone else once remarked, the only perfect human being who ever lived wound up getting crucified. For the rest of humanity, we've all made mistakes, larger or smaller, of greater or lesser importance. For our purposes in these podcasts, this particularly applies to the great military commanders of history. Here are some of the less contentious examples. Ulysses S. Grant was known as a drunk before the Civil War, and subsequently, his presidential administration was known for corruption. That doesn't mean we should ignore his genius in using the resources available to him to defeat his Confederate opponents in the American Civil War. T.E. Lawrence, better known as Lawrence of Arabia, was the subject of many personal attacks in his lifetime and afterwards of varying veracity. His prior studies of the history and culture of the Middle East, however, enabled him to coordinate and influence the successful Arab revolt in the First World War and their military campaigns against Ottoman rule. His writings reflect a deep understanding of Arab culture, and even today they influence Western engagement with the Arab world. His personal foibles should not overshadow his contributions or his understanding of a complex environment. 
General George S. Patton was narcissistic, and he physically abused a soldier suffering from what we describe today as post-traumatic stress disorder. He was also an inspired and inspiring leader who demonstrated a grasp of modern warfare based on his understanding of military history. For example, through his study of the wars between Rome and Carthage, he recognized the military opportunities presented by the Tunisian landscape, enabling him to defeat the German Africa Corps. In his subsequent campaigns in Sicily and Western Europe, Patton executed military operations his peers and superiors thought were impossible. His faults should not be overlooked, and his mentor, General John J. Pershing, refused to answer Patton's letters to him after the slapping incident. But neither should we cancel Patton for his faults. Clausewitz resigned his commission as an officer in the army of his country, and was then commissioned in the army of another country, which was at war with his own country, and then, at a critical point, convinced a large portion of the armed forces of his native country to change sides. This could be understood as treason by most people. History vindicated him only because the country he transferred to won the war. Although his king never forgave him, Clausewitz was eventually allowed back into Prussian service, and his writings are the foundation for strategic thinking today. Sun Tzu took things one step further and had no problem providing military service for whomever was willing to pay him. But the advice he gave to those willing to pay shaped military thought ever since. Similar examples can be told of currently controversial figures such as Robert E. Lee, the German general Heinz Guderian, and Winston Churchill. The point here is that history, and especially military history, is not made by saints. In fact, even most saints were great sinners who, by the grace of God and not their own efforts, overcame their failings to exemplify that which is good. We learn from their sins as much as by their virtues. So, too, with military leaders and other great strategists. We learn what is useful, praise what is praiseworthy, and recognize and avoid behaviors that are condemnable. If we lose that sense of balance in either direction, we will go wrong. If we condemn a past military leader completely, we'll lose the advantage of learning from him. If we glorify that person or any persons without recognizing their faults, we may lose sight of critical information that helps us to understand the decisions they made and why. In either case, we will lose the lessons that history can teach us. We will go forward onto current and future battlefields without knowing where we have been or how to get to where we want to go. The world, quite obviously, is still a dangerous place. Many people believe that the model for future conflict is Afghanistan and other asymmetric insurgencies, or the war, when it comes, will be waged remotely by drones and standoff weapons, eliminating the close combat of previous wars. I suppose it's possible, and I would even say probable, that they are wrong. History proves that usually such pronouncements on what will happen in a future war are not only false, but sometimes disastrous. A better understanding of history enables a better understanding of the present, as it did for Lawrence and Patton, and indicates possible paths for the future. Some of these paths are dark, leading to blood-soaked fields of our own destruction. We need maps and guides to avoid those dark paths. Military history provides a map, and the masters and theorists of war, the imperfect human beings that they were, serve as our guides. 
Now, these are as accurate as most historical maps and travel logs with distorted coastlines, measurements that make little sense today like leagues, and cautions such as here be monsters. Nonetheless, those maps and guides may be enough to help us avoid the most serious perils and enlighten the path to prevail in the ancient art of modern warfare. I'm Chris Mayer.